He is great. He is great. So beautiful to be able to enter into the presence of the Lord. Um, this morning, we just want to thank you all for being here today. Yes. We want to welcome you to Core Faith Church. Um, if you're a guest with us for the first time, we ask you to um, fill out the guest information card. You can put that guest information card in the offering plate as it goes by. Um, or you can see the guys outside who are there um, to greet you as well. And don't, and don't forget to stop by there. They have a free gift for you. We're filling that out. For you who are vision carriers, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being here this morning. You know, it's a special, special day. Sunday's always a special day, but I thought somehow I might not come back, you know, but you, <laughs> but you came back, right? Because here at Core Faith Church, we are committed to loving God. We are committed to growing together. We are committed to serving and we are committed to reaching others. On behalf of myself, my beautiful wife, Minister Elaine Quinones, we welcome each and every one of you to Core Faith Church where we engage people where they are. Building faith in Christ. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus. If you would, right where you are, open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, as, as some of you know, we have switched up the order of service a little bit um, a couple of times, and this is um, another opportunity for us to do that, uh, where we engage in our time of worship, and then we get into the Word. Um, and then after we hear the Scriptures, then we engage with the Lord again in worship and communion. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. And this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you to be well, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that I, when I am present, that I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh for though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh let me read that again for though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and he closes his admonition with these words and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled and so I just want to point out here that the Apostle Paul and you can be seated um, we're gonna pray in a moment but I want to say something um, the Apostle Paul is communicating and as he's communicating to the church in Corinth, he is letting them know <clears throat> certain things that they need to hear. And if you notice verse 1 and verse 2, they are the Apostle Paul's heart being bared. And he is showing them that he does not want to be harsh. He does not want to um, lay the smack down spiritually. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to come to them in love. He wants to come with them with grace. Um, just like any good pastor, right? No good pastor wants to come and lay the smack down, right? I mean, I'm just letting you know. Like, pastors, they shouldn't. If they do, they're probably in the wrong line of work. But no pastor wants to, like, just come and just, you know, hurt somebody's feelings or offend someone and Paul was struggling with some issues there in within the, the church of Corinth and and one thing that he says to us is he says this in verse 3 for though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh now let me explain something to you that I think that is so important for us to realize and it is this it is that we are in a war are you here 
We are. There, there, there is something that should be assumed by all Christians, and it is that we are in the midst of warfare. We are in the midst of a battle. Whether you are a Christian or not, you are in the middle of a battle. There are things going on in the spirit realm. I was telling Pastor Aldo, we were, we were having a, a meeting yesterday, and as we were talking, I was telling him about one of my classes that I just did for school. The class was on spiritual warfare, and so I had to read two books during that class. One of the books was a fiction book, and just so you know, if you ever want to buy me a gift, do not buy me a fiction book. Hello. I feel, I, I don't, I'm going to be honest with you, and you may, you may not, you know, think, you know, I don't know what you think, but uh, I don't particularly enjoy reading, right? Like, I'm not like an avid reader. I'm not a guy that's like, hey, I got to read a book a month, you know? Now I have to do that stuff for school. Sometimes two, sometimes three, it just depends. Nonetheless, that's not like my preference in life, right? Like, I, I don't like, I'm not that kind of reader. So when I read... I want to read something factual, right? Like that's that. I want to spend my time reading something that is actual, not something that's fiction. And here's the thing. I had to read a book that was fiction, and I had to read the whole thing because I had to write a report on the book so I couldn't like fake it, right? So I had to do that. The one thing on this book, it was fiction, but what it does is it walks from the book of Genesis. Actually, it walks from eternity past when Satan caused the uproar in heaven and was cast out of heaven. So when the earth was created all the way to the end after the rapture and after the millennium and all of that, it walks through that. And what it does in the fictitious sense is it shows you what's going on behind the scenes, how Satan is, is, is actually ploying and scheming and plotting to do things. And while I say it's fiction because they give names, to demons and you know they, they they have certain councils that happen and certain conversations those things are not actual in the sense that we don't know exactly what is occurring but here's the fact and the reason why this book I thought after reading you know like 15 chapters hello I thought you know and thank God there weren't like big chapters but nonetheless after getting I was like you know I can appreciate this because if one thing happened in reading this is it reminded me that while we only see what's going on here in this earth there are things going on behind the scenes there are councils being had about nations, about your life. There are attacks that are coming against you and against us as the church. And when you and I decided to say yes to Jesus, you have to understand the target on us became even greater. The enemy wants to do everything he can to divide the church. He wants to do everything he can to, di to distract the church. And so the apostle Paul goes on to say, as, as, he, as he talks about the weapons in verse 4, he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't fight like the world fights. Our weapons aren't the weapons of the world, but they are mighty in God. For what? To the pulling down of strongholds. The pulling down of strongholds. If you look at your outline here, the issue we are facing within our culture, which is the source of our political division, is a battle of ideas. These strongholds in our minds, right? These strongholds that end up taking place in our minds. Go on in there. Ideas become our belief system and our core convictions. They become strongholds. And so what does Paul say? Paul says that the weapons, the spiritual weapons that we have, and the primary, understand this please, when you look at Paul's other writings, you have to conclude one of the primary weapons, or the only weapon, right, when you look at Ephesians chapter 6, there is only one weapon that Paul, that Paul speaks of there, and that is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. 
And so the weapon that we have is the word of God. Now, the way that we exercise or utilize that weapon, it may be by us praying the word of God. It may be, it may be by us declaring the word of God. It may be by us believing and trusting the word of God. It may be by us sharing the word of God with others. Nonetheless, we need to understand that the primary weapon that we have is the weapon of God's word. And can I tell you something? God's word is filled with ideas. Hello. And those ideas confront our ideas. And we have to make a decision. Are we going to allow these strongholds in our minds to, do, to, to maintain what they are or where they are? Or are we going to bow our hearts unto the Lord and allow his word to break down and pull down those strongholds? And so Paul says that our weapons are, are, are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. And look what he says, casting down arguments. You ever been in an argument? Especially on political stuff. I mean, you've been on, on arguments, right? I don't want to lose sight of what we're talking about here. And by the way, thank you for coming back. Hello. Uh, I thought some of y'all weren't going to come back, you know. And so I appreciate you coming back and, and sharing this time with me. And so what Paul is saying is that these weapons are, are good to the point out of strongholds, casting down arguments or reasonings and every high thing, look at this, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Church, here is what we have to understand is that the enemy wants us to have ideas, thoughts, reasonings, um, convictions that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. They exalt themselves against God's knowledge, and God's knowledge is found in this word. And so continuing on, look at, the, look at your outline here. Strongholds can be good because they protect us. They keep us secure. They, they, align, they, they align our focus. And so strongholds in those days, we just came back on my mother and my brother and my grandmother and myself. We went to Puerto Rico and we went to El Morro, right? And so El Morro is, is a stronghold of Puerto Rico. It's a place where there's a wall that is built around that part of the island there. And, and, and it was a, a place where they, they set up. That's where they fortified. That's where they, that was a good place, right? It was a strong place. When you go in there, it's so funny because my brother and I were like walking through and we, you know, we're not reading everything. And we came to this one spot. There's like this hole that you can walk through the, you know, you walk through a wall and it's like, it looks like a balcony, right? And, and the hole, you got to like duck down when you get into the hole and you get out there and it's the best spot in Edmonton. I'm just letting you know, if you ever go, go to that spot. You know what that is? It's the spot for the cannons. Hello, somebody. Right? It's the best spot. The breeze comes through there, right? It's this thing. And so all that said, we're like trying to figure out what it was about. And then we walk to the next and we see the, oh, that's what goes through that hole there. That's why it's so low. It's made for that. But the stronghold is good, right, in that sense. There is a positive side to it because it allows you to be protected. It allows you to be secure. It allows you to align your focus. When the stronghold is intact, then we don't have to worry. We don't have to be fearful, right? But here's the problem. The problem is they're bad when they hinder us from seeing clearly. When the only thing we're looking at is the stronghold, we're not looking at why we're here. They're, they're, they're a bad thing when they choke out the life of the scripture in church. The reason why I have ventured into preaching on these topics is because I believe that this is an area where the enemy has taken root and he has strongholds in our lives. And we are not seeing the life of God being manifested to the church because of our political persuasions. And the other thing is that it's a problem when it creates fear of change and conformity to Christ. Church, understand something. You are not called to be more blue. You are not called to be more red. I already told you, are you called to be more purple? Hello. <sighs> I'm going to advocate for the purple party to the day I die, right? <clears throat> I'll talk to you about that in a moment. But here's the thing. You are called to become more like Christ. 
And, and the way that you and I become more like Christ is in Romans chapter 12, and we see it clearly. The apostle Paul says what? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You'll be able to test it. And so what we have to do is realize that what we're confronting today is strongholds. And we have to be willing to say, God, I want you to break down every stronghold in my mind. Break down every stronghold in my life. Break down every lie. Break down and tear down every high thing that has exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Y'all are sitting there like, what's he going to talk about? <laughs> we're going to deal with the stronghold. I told you this week, this week we're going to get we're going to get technical. But I wanted to share this before I pray because here's the thing. I want us to pray in faith together. I want us to really pray in faith together, to really humble our hearts, to really lay, lay the stronghold down. You're in daddy's house, okay? We're in daddy's house. Listen, you know what? You may disagree. I'm, I assure you. Let me, let, me just, let me just help you understand. You are going to disagree with me on some things that I say today. It's expected. It's going to happen. And here, and, and can I challenge you? Please do, do me a favor. Don't just tune me out. If you disagree, let's have a conversation. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Listen, I'm willing to listen. I'm, I'm willing to learn. I'm going to share with you some of the things that I've learned with people that I've disagreed with. Because the fact of the matter is, everybody that is, you know, trying to live for Jesus typically has something good to say. Hello? Doesn't mean they're always right. Are you here? I'm not always right either. I'm right today. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I could be wrong on some stuff. But I did my best to stick to um, Scripture when there's Scripture and rationale when there's, when there's no Scripture for me to go back to, right? So let's pray together. Father, <clears throat> we come to you today. We humble ourselves. <clears throat> and we recognize that. Your word is true. <clears throat> Your word is the highest authority. Our thoughts are not. Our ways are not. So we ask you, Spirit of the Lord, to speak to us today. Lord, you said that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. To the pulling down of strongholds, <clears throat> to the casting down of imaginations, reasonings, everything, that would try to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And so, Lord, right now, you see every one of our hearts. You see where we have defenses up already, where we're doubting, where we're questioning. Lord, let our hearts truly be submitted to your word today. Give me wisdom as I share your truth. And, Lord, may offenses that may come, may disagreements that may come, from my brothers or my sisters that are sitting in these seats today, may they not further divide, but may they provoke us to conversations that are helpful, helpful for this culture to bring you glory and to bring you honor. We pray this in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Come on. I just, I, I want you to think about this this morning. Here's the big idea. The big idea is addressing tough issues requires courage supported by character directed by Christ. Today we're talking about tough issues. Addressing tough issues requires courage, supported by character, directed by Christ. Those three things are so important. We have to have courage in order to deal with tough issues, do we not? If we're going to talk about the things that divide us and we're going to, you know, start to say things, you know, talk about the proverbial elephant in the room, if we're going to deal with those types of things, right, if we're going to have those conversations, it takes courage. But not only does it take courage, it also takes character, does it not? Because I can be as courageous as I want to be, but if I'm not a person of character, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Amen? Very important for us to think about that, right? That's important. And, and above all of that is that it must be directed by Christ. You know why? Because we should only fight the battles that God wants us to fight. 
We should only be fighting the battles that God wants us to fight. There's one story in the scriptures that I love, right? I've told you this, that I love this story. It is the story of David and Goliath. And in this story, David and Goliath, the, the, I mean, I love the story, obviously, you know, the, the manly moment where David slays the giant. I love that part. But can I tell you what I love also? What I love, and I learned this as I got a little bit older, is that David had a moment. When he shows up and when he comes to around the armies and his, his father had told him, Jesse sent him to go and see how the things were going. And his brothers are there and he hears this giant in the background. And as this giant is, is, is doing his daily, um, <clears throat> you know, um, d uh, disrespect of Israel and calling them out, David's attention is drawn to that voice. And David is like, um, he asks a really important question. He's like, what, what, what does somebody get for slaying that giant? David asked an important question. What does this pay? That's how he knew if the battle was his or not. It was by what does this pay? If this don't pay right, I'm not fighting. There's no need, right? This is not my fight. This is not something that I need to engage in, right? Our culture matters, I think. I think that it's worth fighting for, don't you? I think that the next gen, see, because what I see is the reason why these messages and these topics of discussion are so important is because for me, it's all about the next generation. It's all about the next generation. It is all about them. It's all, Pastor Alden and I were talking about school, and I was telling him about one of my teachers and how he wants us to write these ridiculous reports. And Pastor Alden was telling me about his school, and he was telling me about his teacher. And his teacher said, listen, the reason why I want you guys to write these research papers, I want you to dig into this. He says, because you are the future of healthcare. I need to know what the future of healthcare is going to look like. Hello. I need to know what the future is going to be like. You know how I know that? By having you write reports, by having you dictate and communicate what it is that you believe or what it is that you understand. And so it's the same thing for us, and so I believe that we have to address these issues. And so the first thing I'm going to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, immigration, immigration. is complicated. <laughs> You've seen those posts on Facebook, right? You've seen them where, you know, relationship, it's complicated, right? With immigration, it is the same thing, right? It is a complicated issue. As I thought about this, I thought about it this way. How do you love your neighbor and protect them at the same time? How do you do that? When you're thinking about immigration issues, how do you love your neighbor but protect them at the same time? And when we talk about neighbors, we know that based on the Good Samaritan, right, anybody can be our neighbor. It's not the person who lives next door to us, only that. But, you know, the nation next door to us, right, those, those are our neighbors. How do we love our neighbors? But then how do we also be protective and think about that? That's why these things become so many issues. And let me just explain to you really quickly. As we go through these, I'm gonna, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be technical. Um, we're going to you know, there's going to be some stuff that, you know, I'm going to go through. The, the biggest point that I have, right, as far as something that I'll dig into a little bit more is immigration because I think that there's more scriptural stance that we can have on that and we can actually wrestle with this together and we can think through some stuff. But I did tell you this. I asked you guys to answer questions that you wanted to hear. So I am going to, you know, answer those questions as best that I can. I may not answer every single one and I may not answer it to your satisfaction. Nonetheless, I'm doing my best here. I'm doing my best to communicate what I believe to be true. So when you look at immigration, I told you guys that if you go to any, it's the National Americans Evangelical, right? If you go to that website, you can actually go there and you can just do this by yourself. Please don't do it right now, but you should do this on your own. I really challenge you to do that. I actually downloaded like three documents that I'm going to post in Realm after this message. I didn't do it before for reasons, you know, because, you know, you would have just read that and not come today. But here's the thing. In there, 
<clears throat> there are there are, are, are communications that are referred to back to 1995 where the evangelicals in America were talking about immigration issues. You go back to 2009, there's letters that they wrote to Congress and to those who were in power, and they communicated. In 2012, there were two letters that were written from the, um, the National Ameri uh, the, the, the Evangelicals of America, we're going to call them that, the NAE, that were, that were written there. One of those letters written to, in general to Congress. The other one was written directly to President Obama. And so when you look at this, this is not some new issue. This is not something that is fresh. But I want you to hear what I believe is a scriptural thing to understand. First of all is this. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. And here's what I want you to know is that many of our social issues, you know where they can be figured out at? The book of Genesis. Now think about that for a moment. Many of our social issues that we deal with can be addressed in the book of Genesis. You don't have to go anywhere else. you got to go to the book of beginnings, and you can see what did God say way back there. What did he communicate way back there? And then when you look at what God communicated, and you know why this is a good practice? I'm going to tell you why. Because you do not have to be a Bible scholar to do it. Hello. You just got to know where the first book of the Bible is, and really just the first chapter or two, and you'll be like, hey, the Bible says this. That means that we should probably go this way. You don't have to get all deep and all, you know, all, 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 you know, all, all, you know, all smart and all that kind of stuff with it. Listen, just go back to the, to the Scripture. Just show them, hey, this is what the Bible says. So look at verses 26 to verse 28. Look at what it says here. Then God said, let us make man in our image. <clears throat> according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Verse 28 says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that comes on the earth. And so let's just pause there for a moment because there's a lot that God says here. And the first thing that we have to understand, and this is, and I'm going to quote, these things are directly from the website I told you to go through, the National America uh, um, Evangelical website. It says this, D discussion on immigration and government immigration policy must begin with the truth that every human being is made in the image of God. Are you here? Every conversation that we have regarding immigration must start there. Immigrants are made in the image of God and have supreme value. They are not second-class citizens of anything of this earth because what? They are image bearers. Amen. We should all agree on that, right? The evangelicals of America, and, I, and listen, and I, I want to I be really clear here because you're going to hear me say this, and I just want you to know that I have a bone to pick with the body of Christ that has, that has downplayed and been disrespectful to the evangelicals in the church. I have a problem with that because I feel like, and when I get to the last point, you'll see what I'm saying. What they have done is they have ignored what they have been communicating for a long time, what they have been advocating for a long time. That is disingenuous. That is disrespectful. That is not godly. That is not promoting unity in the body of Christ. Call somebody out for something that they did that was wrong. Yes, let's do that. Let's have that conversation. But don't make it seem like all of a sudden this group doesn't care about these, about these issues because they have been for a long time. Congress doesn't care. So that's the problem with us. And listen, I say this with boldness and clarity of mind. They don't care about us. You know, you, can, can I, can, I'm going to just say this right now. When the, when, when the whole issue happened with Puerto Rico, let me tell you something. 
When I heard all of these congressmen and all these people start talking all this smack and Puerto Rico was a big deal, I'm like, where were y'all at all these other years? Hello? Listen, I'm, I'm not down with being your political ploy. I'm not with all that. Man, I am not with being some, you know, some, some, some totem pole something that you're going to use to make your point. If you cared about Puerto Rico, you would have fixed Puerto Rico way before Maria. Hello. All right. Anyway, let me just, let me get that out there. <laughs> politically correct. I am not. I will not be. You're not called to be politically correct either. Right? You're called to live for the glory of God. Call some people out for some stuff. The Bible contains, continuing on this directly from the website there, the Bible contains many accounts. Now, thinking about the whole issue of immigration, the Bible contains many accounts of God's people who were forced to migrate due to hunger, war, or personal circumstances. In the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the families of his son turned to Egypt in search of food. Joseph, Naomi, Ruth, Daniel, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Ezekiel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther all lived in foreign lands. In the New Testament, we we see Joseph and Mary, who are the parents of Jesus in this earth. They fled with Jesus to escape Herod's anger and became refugees where? In Egypt. Peter referred to, this is the apostle Peter, referred to the recipients of his first letter as aliens and strangers, perhaps suggesting that we were exiles within, that, that we as Christians were exiles within the Roman Empire. So look at this. These examples from the Old and New Testament reveal God's hand in movement of people and are illustrations of faith in God in difficult circumstances. Let me, let me say that again. Looking at the Old Testament and New Testament reveals God's hand. Say God's hand. God's hand in, in the movement of people. Can I tell you something? There may be people who God is moving to the United States of America. Are you here? God does that, right? Things happen. We are supposed to be gracious, loving, right? That should be our heart as Americans. So anyway, so we have this. The Bible, now, now, now again, the Bible does not, and you got to hear this clearly, the Bible does not offer a blueprint for modern legislation. You can't go to the Bible and say, this is why it's complicated, because you can't go to the Bible and say, well, the Bible says this exactly. That's the problem with us. Are you hearing me, church? I know you're hearing that noise. I don't know what that is, but praise the Lord, you know? It's okay, it's okay, it's in a purse, something, I don't know. But anyway, but listen, here is the issue. The issue is this, is that the scriptures do not have, they, they do not say one thing that you can go back and say, you know what, this is the way that we're supposed to deal with policy. This is the way we're supposed to deal with immigration. You can't go to the scripture and do that. However, however, here's the thing. The scriptures holistically can serve as a moral compass and shape the attitudes of those who believe in God. Are you here? The scriptures as a whole can do that. An appreciation of the pervasiveness of migration in the Bible must temper the tendency to limit discussions on immigration to Romans 13. I'm going to do a Romans 13 next week, but here's the thing. What I want you to realize is this. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. What, 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 what we have to realize is this, is that the tendency for some of us is to take one set of scriptures and say, this is how we're supposed to deal with immigration. And then the tendency for others of us is that this is how we're supposed to deal with immigration in scriptures. And you know what I say to both of those groups? Yes. Yes. You're not more right than him, and you're not more right than her. You're both right. And so you can't just throw stones at each other. Oh, you're not believing the Bible. Oh, yes, I am. 
I just hold to this position here. Okay, well, you know what? That's why we need a purple party, y'all. So we can bring our positions together. Hello? So we can say, hey, this is what the Bible says. We can advocate for these scriptures. We can make sure that we are doing that. And so we have to have this mindset. And then we have this, God has established the nations. We have to understand that. Deuteronomy chapter 32, if you're taking notes, Acts chapter 17, it says clearly God established the nations here. And their laws should be respected. Nevertheless, policies must be evaluated evaluated to reflect that immigrants are made in the image of God and demonstrate biblical grace for the foreigner. Now here's what I want you to understand. This is tough for some people to grasp. I'm going to go through these things here, and these are things that, again, you may not agree with every one of these points, but I believe all of them to be true. Hear me when I say this. I believe all of them to be true and can be supported by the scriptures. And I want you to think about this. And again, this is coming directly from the first, or one of the two letters written in 2012. And both of those letters that were written to Congress and to the president, the, this verbiage was in those letters. And here's what the evangelicals said that should be in the policies that we think about. First of all, and let me, before I get into these, here's, what, here's why this is so important. Remember what I said last week? I said last week, I said that we are not a Christian nation. That we were not founded to be a Christian nation. That is not truth, right? But what I did say also to clear up the confusion is that we were built upon biblical principles. We have to get that. What that means to me is that policy today, hear me church, not just some policies, every single policy that you as a Christian sign off on, it should align to biblical values. That's why some of you, after this message, you're going to go be independent. Hello. For real. Like, that's what you're going to do because you're going to say, man, I can't be red or blue. I can't do it. And we don't have a purple party yet, so we got to go another route. We got to figure out how we're going to do this. Okay, so here's what the the, the list is. Number one, these policies should respect the God-given dignity of every person. We say amen to that? Policy should respect the God-given dignity of every person. The second thing is it should protect the unity of the immediate family. Can you say amen to that? I think that matters. I think that that's important. But let me tell you something, and and some of y'all are not going to like what I'm going to say right now. When you break laws, there's consequences. If I go and do something stupid right now, and I am in my car with my kids, and I go to jail, guess what's happened to my kids? They're going to be separated from me. And if there's no one to take them, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be in the system. That is for people who are citizens of the United States of America. Let's just be real. I mean, let's be honest. Let's not, just, let's not placate to all of these lies that are out there. Laws, look, there are consequences to decisions, are there not? Next thing, respect the rules of law, right, for obvious reasons. Say amen to that. Guarantees secure national borders. Can we say amen to that? Listen, I could argue biblically for building a wall. Maybe not the way that our president advocates, but hello. But I could argue biblically for building a wall. Biblically, we, we could talk about that. Wasn't that what Nehemiah did? did isn't that what he went? Anyway, anyway. <laughs> I'm just saying it's like in the Bible. Like there is a reason, right? I mean, again, <laughs> ensure fairness to taxpayers. Can you say amen to that? This is, this is, this is what should happen. And lastly, establish a path toward legal status and or citizenship for those who qualify and who wish to become permanent residents. Can we say amen to that? All right, so we all agree biblically then, right? We're good, right? That's what the National American Evangelical Association said. Hey, this is what our policy should reflect. And so we should applaud that. The second thing is this. Say this with me. Say, when biblical issues become social issues, act accordingly. (laughs) 
When biblical issues become social issues, act accordingly. Again, I'm going to go down this list. And, and, and before I move on, let me ask you a question. And you don't have to answer this question, all right? This is rhetorical. But do you believe that the Bible is the highest authority of all? Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that God's ideas that are written in his word are the best for any culture, for any society? You should. If you're a Christian, you believe that, right? You believe that the Bible is infallible in faith and practice. The Bible never fails. So what the Bible says on the things, and again, you guys asked me about these. I'm just going to touch on them. The more biblical, like, answers that I have are going to be at the top of the list. As we go down the list, those are ones that I'm going to be like, hey, let's just think about principles here. But here's the thing. The first thing that we talked about, or in there, one of the things that came up, immigration was the highest one. That was one you guys asked about the most, so we talked about that. I think the next one was on marriage. Here's what I'm going to say about marriage. Scriptural marriage. Hear me when I say this. We need to get delivered from the whole traditional marriage thing. We need to get delivered from that. You know why? Because I'm not about traditional marriage. I'm about scriptural marriage. I want to say something that I think is so important. The government has, should have zero business to do with marriage. You know why? It doesn't belong to them. What should happen is the church should be the one who is, just, who is marrying people, and then, I don't know, I'm just, this is me thinking out loud, they should be able to go to the government and say, hey, we're, we're legally married by the church, and then the government recognize that. That's what I think should happen. That's it. It shouldn't be them telling you what a marriage is. They can deal with civil unions and all that other stuff. That's their stuff. Marriage is a biblical thing. It's a scriptural thing. Scriptural marriage is best for the culture. Amen. The church has been charged with the sanctity of marriage. Marriage belongs to the church, not the government. Again, I repeat those words. Now, I want you to think about this. As I was doing this research, this messed me up. Pew Research just released a study this year, just released a study. And in the study, one of the things they asked about was cohabitation, was is it okay to cohabitate, right? So y'all know what that is. That's being together without being married, right? Okay. So here's what the poll said. This is what the poll came out and said. It said 14% said it's never okay. 14% said never okay. Can I tell you something? I'm with the 14%. It's never okay. Never okay. In a biblical way, never okay. Doesn't look right, stay away from the appearance of evil, period. Don't tempt yourself, period. Stay away from that. 16% said it's okay if, if you're planning to marry. And false. It's lies. It's a shift in the culture. It's a lie, though. It doesn't matter what you're planning to do. I think somebody did a song, put a ring on it. Hello. I don't know. Great theologian of our time, whoever that was. <laughs> I don't know the theology of the song. What I'm saying is the principle, right? Put a ring on it, homie. You want to you, you wanna, you wanna live together? Don't play house. Build a house. Okay? But check this out. 69% of those that were polled said it's okay to cohabitate no matter if you're going to get married or not. In other words, for convenience, it doesn't matter if you're going to get married. It's cheaper. Listen, facts are facts, right? Two people, two incomes, it's cheaper. Hello. <laughs> and again, wrong, not biblical. If you think that's okay, it's unbiblical. Church, you need to stand for that truth. Listen, there's a reason the scripture says those who are fornicators, what? They're, they're not going to heaven. 
right? That's what it says. It talks about adulterers. It talks about all of these different things that deal specifically with the marriage context. So church, here's what I want you to understand. Scriptural marriage is in trouble. Scriptural marriage is in trouble. We are supposed to advocate for biblical scriptural marriage. How do we advocate? By living it. By being an example of it. By communicating to all of our young people that hear us, all of our friends, all of our children, communicating to them clearly. Not empathizing, yo, I'm broke, yo, I'm not. It don't matter. It don't matter. Listen, it's not okay to do that. But here's what I want to say because we talked about not just that, but I want you to also look at the other side of this. When we look at scriptural marriage, scriptural marriage consists of a man and a woman. Going back to the book of Genesis, right, what does God say? I told you, you can figure out all these issues right in the book of Genesis. He created the male and female. You know what that means? That means that creation determines our gender, not your feelings, not what a book said, not what the culture said, not what anybody said, not what a doctor said. No, what the Bible says. If you are created with certain anatomy, you are that. You have certain chromosomes, you are that. You may struggle. This is truth. You may struggle with certain sins, and in our culture, it's going to be tough. But here's the thing. We have to be those, but not only, hear me, church, not only do, do the scriptures show us what our gender is by creation, but God gives us a new identity. The gospel does something when God comes into our life. When you repent of your sin of homosexuality, you repent of your sin of adultery, you repent of your sin of lying, you repent of your sin of murder, you repent of your sin of greed, you repent of your, whatever your sin is, what God does is this, is he gives you a new identity. You are now a beloved son, you are now a beloved daughter. That's what he does. He brings you into the family. But church, the reason why this issue becomes so important, because some of you get upset whenever myself or another pastor, you start sinking in your chair. Oh, I can't believe Bishop is singling out homosexuality. Listen, you are blind if you do not think that this demonic spirit is running rampant in our culture today. Because let me explain something to you. Nobody is over here advocating, saying, hey, you know that adulterous guy? As a matter of fact, let me give you an example. I was talking to a friend, and we were having this conversation about the whole politics stuff. And I said, you know what? Any man in this room, and listen, man, don't say amen to this. But here's the thing. <sighs> Any man in this room would be okay being like Solomon, right? Meaning that Solomon had a bunch of different wives. There was something that was crazy when I was a young man, right? When I was a young man, before I was a Christian, all the guys I used to hang out with, right? All of these dudes that, that were old, because they were older than me, they, 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 none of them were married, right? Some of them were, were in committed relationships. They all had a woman. This is no joke. They all had a woman that they loved. They loved her. Nobody else could talk to her. Nobody else could be with her. They always came back to her. But you know what they had? They had a bunch of other women they were doing other things with. Any man, by his nature, would be able to have, now listen, I'm not advocating, hear me when I say this. I'm not advocating this. I'm not saying this is okay. I'm saying this is sinful. But many men, most men, almost any man, if he was being honest with himself, don't, don't, don't amen this. <laughs> would be okay having the love of his life at home that he comes home to, that he shares life with, that he does all of this and having a bunch of booty calls. I'm just being, I'm keeping it 100 with you. But you know what nobody in their right mind would ever say? You were born like that. It's okay to be that way. When someone is a liar, you do not walk around saying, hey man, you were born that way, it's all good, keep lying, it's okay. 
You were born like that. Nobody's advocating that. Nobody is saying those things are okay, right? Like, I mean, there, there, there's, there's laws. Like, for example, we know that lying is wrong because perjury is an issue, is it not? Lying is not okay. I can't just get up and say, hey, you know, I'm going to lie today, and you can't take me to jail because I just feel like I'm a liar. This is my nature. Come on now. Listen, I'm glad you're laughing, right, at these jokes, but I hope that we understand the seriousness of the target that is on our kids. See, and here's the thing. If you are not willing to speak up, you don't have the heart of God in this matter. If, and listen, I'm not talking about being a jerk. I've told you not to be that. But being clear on what Scripture teaches being clear on what the Bible says when the conversation comes up. Being clear. Listen, Jesus loves you just like those young men. It's sin coming to my church. That is the idea we have to have. So we understand marriage is between one man and one woman. There's no other thing than that, so I won't even give it a name. But here's the thing. Being pro-life. Check this one out. Some of y'all are going to love me here. Some of y'all are going to hate me. It's okay. Being pro-life is best for the culture. Amen. Let me tell you what happens. We sacrifice our kids, our unborn babies, on the altar of our own comforts. That is what we do. In this nation, we have made that legal, and it's okay. And for some of you, you know, you're like, oh, well, what about, you know, the ones that are raped? Can I tell you something? And I say this before the Lord, and I could be 100% wrong. I'll give you the 5%. Any woman that's ever going to be raped, I'll give you that. And, and some of my really conservative, hardcore Christian friends are going to be like, how could you? Listen, I don't care. I'm just going to tell you me. I'm not telling you that that position is biblical. I'm not saying that. Pro-life is best for the culture. But can I tell you something that I learned so very important from someone who I disagree with? I told you I don't tell you things I learned, right? You know what Christians are? We're pro-birth, not pro-life. Many Christians that, that fall under the conservative side of the conversation they are pro-birth. We're not pro-life. We want to make sure they have babies. We're not willing to stand next to them while they raise up these babies. See, that's the reason why I appreciate the pregnancy center. That's the reason why we do baby bottle campaigns. That's the reason why we support ministries like that. You know why? Because they do that. Because they stand beside these women and men. Because hear me when I say this. It's not just a woman that's in a crisis. It's not just her. It's the man as well. In many cases, he doesn't know what to do. And so what is he going to say? Well, you got to go and have an abortion. you got to go and do that because we can't take care of it, whatever the case is. But we sacrifice our children on the altar of convenience. Church, God's word says, I'm turning really quickly. Turn over to Genesis chapter 9. I told you the book of Genesis answers all questions. Hello. The book of Genesis chapter 9. This is after the flood. God makes a promise to Noah. I want you to notice how important this is. So God blessed Noah, beginning in verse 1, and his sons and said to them, he said the same thing that he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What does that mean? The command is, is still the same for us today. Be fruitful, multiply, and, fear, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all, the moving, on, on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea that are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And so obviously there is going to be some killing that's going to take place, right? There, there's going to be something that's going to happen. I, give, I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, and so you can eat both now at this point. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life. That is its blood. 
Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it. Listen, this is even towards the beast that God is saying. If a beast kills somebody, I'm going to require it of them. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man, by, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Listen, church, being pro-life in the holistic sense. Caring about people, not just after the baby's born, not just up until a certain age, but even for the elderly. Even though That's what it means to be pro-life. To care holistically. Again, we need a purple party for that. Hello. <laughs> healthcare. Healthcare. You guys asked about healthcare. Now, now let me say something really quickly. You're not going to like what I'm going to say. Some of you are not going to like this. It's okay. I still love you, and I hope you love me after this. Healthcare is not a right, but it is the right thing. Okay, you, you can search the scriptures, please search them for me, because I, I, I did a Google search, you know, because I was like, well, maybe there's something out there. Somebody said something, because these people argue all day long about this, right? So I'm like, somebody has to have some scripture that says something directly. I looked at all the scriptures, y'all, that they were posting out there, and I want you to understand, there's nothing that says that this is a right. But you know what I know? This is what I know. In that, in that whole research that I did, you want to know that Catholics, Christians, you know what they were? They were the ones that started the health care. You know why? Because it's the right thing to do. Because you should care about the well-being of people. You should, that means health care. That means thinking about them, right? And y'all, I know I'm going long, but hey, that's why I flipped the service around, so I would have all the time I needed to get through this. <laughs> Christians, hear me now. Christians should be advocating for accessible health care. What do I mean by accessible? Affordable and unconditioned health care to all who want it, right? Especially to those who need it, right? Like we should be, that's what we should be advocating for. Somebody asked about vaccinations. I'm like, okay, vaccinations, here we go. Listen, there's no scriptural, there's no scriptural stance on vaccinations. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The science is mixed, right? That's what I'm going to tell you. What I'm going to tell you as a parent, do your research, right? Pray about it. Follow your convictions. My kids, they've been vaccinated. Hello. So do what's right. Do what's best. Caring for the earth. That was another one y'all asked about. Caring for the earth. Look, we already read scriptures about filling the earth and all that. You know what the scriptures show us? Caring for the earth is best for the culture. Can you say amen to that? Caring for the earth is best for the culture. However, I have to say this, right? I heard Ted Cruz on an interview. Somebody was outraged as Ted Cruz was trying to explain something. And I thought, I'm like, well, let me listen to what the guy's saying. And Ted Cruz is like, listen, man, I believe in science, right? Hello. <laughs> I believe in science, right? I got the nacho joke. Anyway. <laughs> I believe in science. He's like, but I have sat there and I have watched scientists debate things. And he's like, so we need to do some research. We can't just jump on this bandwagon or that bandwagon. We need to, what, what we need to do is do what's right for the earth. That's what we need to do. Because, you know, somebody, I think in one of the questions, they were like, well, you know, since the earth is going to be burned up anyway, it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean we need to help the earth along the way. Hello? Right? Anyway, anyway, we need to be, we need to be constantly thinking. Somebody asked about social economics, socialist economics, socialist economics. This was a tough one. Not for me, but for y'all. But here's the thing. Can I tell you my issue? Tell you my issue. My issue with socialist economics is the same issue I have with capitalist economics. Us. 
You know why? We're greedy. We're greedy. We're greedy. We mess everything up. That's what we do. We mess everything up. I'm not some social science guy, so I'm not going to try to, I know you're waiting for me to give you like some big, big, deep stuff. But here's one thing that I, that I read, and I was like, hmm. They, they posed this thought. They said, does a socialistic mindset replace God? When it comes to economics, does it replace God? I don't know. But here's what I want you to know. You need to do research. You need to read history books. You need to sit down and look at stuff and be like, hey, what is, this, what is the best thing for the culture? Can I tell you something? We should care as Christians. We should care about everyone's well-being. We should want to help everyone in these areas. But I will agree with Pastor Aldo and I think Ben Carson on the, when you talk about socialist economics and all this kind of stuff. I think fair tax or flat tax is what it is, right? I think that's probably a good way to go. You know why? Because the Bible advocates that. You know what God thought? This is what God said. God said you could run a nation with 20.3% of whatever your increase is every year. You can run that nation. And guess what? Whenever you have a king and that king decides he's going to take 10%, guess what? You're still going to be okay eating and getting what you need to have, you know, that you need to have, and you're going to take care of it. So you know what? I think we go that route. We could do that. Amen? Just say amen, please. <laughs> it's important. Now, listen, here's what I want to say. It's important for these debatable topics that we look to Scripture first and last, right? First and last. Look to what the Bible says. If the Bible says something, what did I say last week? If the Scripture says something, shut up. That's what I said last week. If the scriptures already speak about it, you don't need to talk about it too much. The scriptures have spoken. Stand with what God's word says. But if the scriptures don't say anything, right, then what do you need to do? You need to do some research. Look at science. Look at economics. Look at history. But here's what I want you to understand is that those things should be looked at for advice, not the final word. God's word needs to speak to us the same way we looked at the whole immigration thing. The third thing I'll ask you to say this with me. Say, stop throwing stones. Vote your values and seek what's best for the culture. Listen, this is the truth that we have. The truth is that we sit in our political glass houses and we throw stones all day. That's what we do. And we beat each other up. In the church, we beat each other up. And church, we have to be the ones who overcome this and say, nope, I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to be in that place. Somebody asked the question, voting, is voting mandatory? And I'm going to tell you what, is, is it sinful not to vote? Listen, it's not sinful not to vote. Voting is your choice. If you choose not to vote, then don't vote. But here, can I tell you something? Don't complain either. <laughs> one of my friends, him and I, he and I were talking about the whole policy. He was the one that was, we were talking about the Purple Party. And the reason why the Purple Party won't work is because we're sinners. And someone will mess it up. We'll agree to stuff, and then somebody want to amend stuff. Hello. Somebody want to come in. I mean, listen, if we can't get church right, now, now y'all know what I'm talking about. We have all kind of denominations all over the place. Why? Because we couldn't agree in God's house, on God's word. We're still arguing about stuff. Much less are we going to be able to agree 100% on social issues. But what I'm saying is stop throwing stones. Stop beating each other up. Start having conversations with people. Look, vote your values. What are your values? Sit down. I got in trouble the last time we talked about voting. I said, look, man, don't vote for a person. Look at party platforms. Take your Bible. And I advocate this every single election cycle. Take the party platform. It's available to you. When you're thinking about voting, you're thinking about all that stuff, open your Bible with the party platform and look to see what is there. Do your values align with that? Then vote that way. That's all I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you to go this way or that way. I'm going to tell you to look at the party platform. 
What I will say about voting is this, is that people have paid a great price for you to be able to vote. And so I would take it seriously. But it's your choice to do what you want to do with it. Here's what I say, and you guys know this. We live in a day that people get verbally abused and demeaned for not agreeing with your politics. There's a book called In the Age of Outrage. In this age of outrage, conversations aren't even possible in many cases because we become so polarized. Here's what I think. I firmly believe this. The scriptures are clear enough that we can and should agree on social issues. They may be tough, but I think the Bible is clear enough that we as Christians should agree on these social issues, right? We should be in agreement on those things. We should advocate for those things. And we should do this because we know that these things are the best for the culture because we agreed that God's word is the best for the culture. Listen, when there is a gray area, here's what we need to do. We need to seek wisdom, we need to pursue unity, and we need to respect diversity. When there is a gray area, when there's something that we can't go back to the Bible, listen, if you would disagree with me on anything, let's go back to the scriptures. If it's a gray area, we can have a conversation about it because if it is a gray area, then we can agree to disagree. And I'm still going to love you. I'm not going to think you're not a Christian because you don't agree with me on where I stand in a gray area. It's a gray area. Hello. Now, I will call you to account if you disagree with the scriptures. I will call you to account if you disagree with what the Bible says, and I hope you would do the same for me. I hope you would call me to account for what I don't believe in this Bible. If there's any time you hear me not advocating for what's in the Bible, you need to call me out. Be like, yo, Bishop, you're not right. I'm down with that. So here's my closing question for you. Are you committed to being the body of Christ before anything else? Are you committed to being the body, the body of Christ before anything else? That's a really important question. And it's an important question as we prepare for communion. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare for communion. But I want to read something to you from one of my friends. I told you that I'm part of a group um, on Facebook. It's a group that um, deals with, you know, talks a lot about social injustices and, you know, talks about it from a biblical perspective. And one of my friends was responding to something, and it was, it, it was an article that had to deal with race in the culture, race relations in the culture. And here's what my friend said. My friend, his name is Michael Stevens Phillips. He said this. He said, unfortunately, I think so much of the race conversation has become political. So much so that most cannot distinguish their identities from their political persuasions. The church must call people back to their identity in Christ. We must realign our allegiances to God's kingdom and once more think and act like Christians. Let me, let me read that again. Unfortunately, I think so much of the race conversation has become political. Listen, we've allowed that, church. We've allowed this. We as the church have allowed this to, to be promoted and to be thought of. And so what happens is this. Most of us cannot distinguish our identities from our political persuasion. That's sad. And what I'm doing and what the church is calling you to do or what I'm calling you to do as a church is to come back to recognize your identity is in Christ. Your allegiance is to God's kingdom. We need to think and act like Christians. Not Republicans, not Democrats. Listen, I'm, I'm going to say two things as, as we prepare for communion. And one of them, I didn't get permission, so when I, when, I, when I make this quote, I do apologize if this is offensive. But to one of my friends that is a Democrat, 
he said to me, when you become a Christian, you really have to wrestle with social issues to see how your positions that you grew up in or whatever align with scripture. And to my conservative friends here, I need you to understand something. Just because there's a C before your belief does not, be, does not mean it's Christian. Because for some reason we think in this culture that everything conservative is Christian. It's not true. Listen, everything on one party is not, the, that's not, the, there's no, hear me when I say this. There is no Christian party until the purple party. I'm telling y'all, we got to do this. See, what I love is this. I asked you, are you committed to being the body of Christ before anything else? I love that we get to end our time, and I, and I do apologize for going over. I think these things were important enough to talk about, though. But I love that we get to come together and share communion at the end of this sermon because you know what unites us? is the body and the blood of Jesus. Because when we come to communion, we remember that we are sinners. <laughs> Democrat sinners, Republican sinners, independent sinners. We are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's glory. But we also know something that is so beautiful, and it is that a Savior came and died to heal us of our brokenness, to heal us of our sinfulness, to restore us to a relationship with him so we could walk with him. But not just that, but to restore our relationship with one another. That no matter where we stand on different issues, that we are one body in Christ. And that we stand together and that we may vehemently disagree on certain things, but man, you're my brother, you're my sister. And I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to stand beside you. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to throw stones. My prayer, listen, y'all, you know that this thing is about to go off the chain for the next few months. I pray that you in this room and those that are hearing me, that you will determine in your heart not to be a stone thrower. That you will determine in your heart to be a person that is on your face praying for this nation. That you will be a person who will not give in to not give in to those divisive conversations because you know why you know about the body you know about the blood of christ we're one body and at the end of it all guess what we're going to stand we're going to have to stand together let's not muddy the waters the last thing that we celebrate is our salvation jesus is going to come our commitment is to that kingdom our commitment is to that king and what we want to do is we want to make sure that we honor the king for who he is. That we honor the king for who he is while we are here on earth, looking forward to eternity with him, where there's no more suffering, there's no more sorrow, there's no more colors. Hello, somebody. There's no more social injustice. There's no more issues. It's just one glorious kingdom of peace. But while we're on our way, we should be extending the kingdom into people's lives. Bow your heads with me if you would. Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the holy, holy blood of the Lamb. Thank you for the great sacrifice you made for us. As you bow your heads there before the Lord, I want to say communion is for followers of Jesus. If you are not a follower of Christ,
you have not